Welcome to the Rising Warrior Podcast. We are here to provide a holistic approach to the betterment of warriors, helping warriors bridge the gap in their healing journey, find themselves, find who they truly are, and provide tools to help themselves and in turn help others. We are here to break the mold and discuss what it takes to thrive in life. So, let's rise above together. On today's episode, we continue our ayahuasca series with Sierra Pena. Pena. Pena? Sierra, I I apologize. I probably mispronounced incorrectly. Sierra is a Navy veteran and currently an ER and vitamin therapy IV nurse. During our conversation, we discuss how and why many veterans struggle to find community, how she put up internal walls during her time in that later led to a struggle connecting with people after separating from the Navy. We get into how ayahuasca helped her feel more connected to herself and to those around her, and how we can subconsciously take on other people's pain. That is just the tip of the iceberg. We get into much, much, much more. So, if you find any of this episode entertaining, interesting, or valuable, please share so that this information can get into the hands of those who need it. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Sierra, thanks for coming on our podcast. Um, You're one of the individuals that get to be part of our ayahuasca series, and before we dive into your process or your experience with ayahuasca, I want to start with... um, talk a little bit about what your experience in the military was and then your experience um, transitioning out of the military. Okay. It's, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I felt really honored to be talking with you guys today. Um, so military service, I was in the Navy for four years, you know, um, had a great time in, but knew I wanted to pursue nursing. So decided to kind of let that up to fate's hand. And I submitted a nurse corps package while I was in that didn't get selected. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get out. Um, the transition out was not very helpful. I think I went to a day of taps class is what they called it, I think, Mm. Um, we did write a resume, but when I got out of the service and really tried to implement that resume into real life, it just did not transition well at all. Um, I realized that I basically just needed to throw it out the, you know, throw it in the trash and start from scratch. Um, it was very, very interesting kind of emotionally transitioning back into civilian life because I started college right away. And I feel like going back to school older than most of the people that are in class with you presented Mm -hmm. its own challenges. But also I felt like it was very challenging to connect with people, Um, Mm. not only emotionally, but just like anything you want to talk about. I felt like people's problems were so trivial when you've been out in the real world and seeing, you know, what third world countries are struggling with. It was just like, somebody is upset. They didn't get asked out by the guy that they like. It was just so silly to me. I was like, wow, (laughs) we're in America again, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so definitely didn't really feel like I had a lot of help there. Um, I ended up reaching out to a counselor through the VA, um, to kind of just start therapy. Really. Um, I was struggling with some anger problems, just interacting with people. I felt like I was constantly triggered by people, silly, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. what they would call problems. 
And so um, that definitely helped. She gave me a lot of tools to kind of implement um, into my day-to-day life to just kind of, you know, level everything out. I felt like I was at a resting seven. So anything somebody did to agitate me or trigger me kind of brought me up to a 10. So, you know, just kind of helping with that, it, it would bring my resting levels down, you know, to zero. So anytime I was triggered, I was just like a two or a three. Um, so that was definitely very helpful. I completely agree. Uh, I went to school after I got out of the military. And when I first started college, I was 27. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, in those times, like 18 through 30, you grow a lot in a year. So I was going to school with a bunch of 18 year olds and like, yeah, dude, your daddy didn't put new tires on your car. (laughs) Like it's, it's all right. You'll be fine. Trust me. Um, so I, I have a first, uh, one question. So you you went to the VA, uh, for a counselor. Did you find that counselor? Did you find the time at the VA helpful? The VA in general is a nightmare. I'm sure every veteran can relate. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. The VA is a nightmare. Um, I ended up seeing probably four different providers mm. before seeing the provider that, you know, her name is Dr. Gress. Uh, shout out to her because she's incredible. But in order for me to even get the appointment with her, t- you know, months of time would go by mm. in between mm-hmm. the appointment. And then I would get juggled from one physician to the next. And, you know, they were kind of trying to determine, am I depressed? You know, what's going on with me? Trying to slap right. labels, you know, to your mental oh. health. Or, um, but yeah, they just kind of swing you around. And initially what they were trying to do was just put me on medication. And I knew <laughs> in my heart and in my soul that that's not what my body needed. Um, they ended up prescribing me a couple of antidepressants, uh, low doses of isotalopram, um, which initially helped. I did start taking them and I was in nursing school at the time. So I knew what the medication was. I really kind of educated myself on it. And very shortly after starting that medication, I was noticing some pretty impactful side effects. Um, Mm. I think most people can relate to this that have been on medication like that weight gain. For me, it was almost doing the exact opposite. After that first couple of weeks, I became very depressed, very sad. I was sleeping all the Mm. time, Um, just not myself. And so I titrated myself off of it. And I was like, okay, let's try to figure out a different avenue. So I just kept harassing the VA to get me in counseling. So you were taking an antidepressant and they're causing you to be depressed. Yeah. It, was, it made it way worse. <laughs> it made it way worse. I, it's, it's very fascinating. You were lucky enough to notice that change. And I'm curious how many individuals are depressed. They go through VA or any other medical source and they give, they are given antidepressants and they become more depressed and they don't notice that because they're not in touch with what's going on. Fuck. Yeah, I was very grateful for, you know, just being in nursing. And at the time I was taking a pharmacology class. So Mm. I was learning about, you know, all kinds of medications, but I became very, very interested in the psychotropic medications that they're prescribing just to educate myself on it. And then I was doing my psych rotations in nursing school too. And so being in that environment of people who maybe really do need to be on that medication Mm -hmm. versus where I just felt like, okay, I'm just being triggered all the time. Like, I I don't really feel like there's like a deep rooted problem here. I just need coping skills. You know, that's not something 
you know, it's not necessarily something that you're learning while you're growing up in your secure, nice family home with parents that love and care about you. And then you go in the military and they're like handholding most of the time, you know, you're just being told what to do all the time. You don't really have to free think. Mm-hmm. And so getting out and just being like, oh my God, there's this big world out here and I have to think for myself and make decisions for myself. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like, what can I do to help kind of progress this, this problem in a more positive direction. And it was like, okay, this medication's not working. Right. Um, but you make a good, uh, observation and a good point. Um, and there's many times that I will bash pharmaceuticals, um, and there is a time and a place for them. Absolutely. And I think in the general public and the general population, uh, that time and place is very limited, um, and short term, there I should agree. be an end goal. Um, so that being said, it sounds like when you got out of the military, you noticed there was some something lacking with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Was that like right off the bat that you noticed that? I noticed, you know, what I really noticed was my attitude because in, I mean, in high school, I was known to be just this social butterfly who loved everybody, who got along with everybody. Um, And I feel like the military kind of hardens you a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Part of it hardens you because of the environment that you're in all the time. But being a female in the military as well, like I kind of didn't care that people thought I was a, a, I label myself like a bitch, right? I'd rather be known as that and kind of keeping distance Mm -hmm. between myself and males versus being known as like a a boat hoe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it hardened me and, and I used that armor to protect myself. But then when I got out of the military, I realized, oh, this is like not serving me anymore. Like I, I don't want to continue behaving this way and feeling like I need to kind of have this like shield bubble around me um, and, you know, kind of getting in the way of my relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up about your experience as a, as a woman in the military. It's, it's, it's one you don't hear about a lot and uh, because, right, you, you're a vast minority. Um, and then also one that has its own unique challenges. I mean, uh, you know, we talk, we love talking about masculine and feminine energies and what that does with regard to the individual, but also with regard to like systems, organizations. And as we all know, the military is incredibly masculine, like in almost everything. I, I mean, I don't think I can't think of a single thing that's like feminine at all. Um, and, uh, for you. I witnessed a lot of the same stuff. So my unit, I was in an infantry unit in the Marine Corps and uh, we had the, it was the first year that they had put uh, women in the infantry uh, units, not necessarily like infantry men, but infantry uh, unit. And yeah, it was like, it was a transition. It was a real transition of, I mean, you, you would have thought that women were from another planet in our unit. They were like, Oh, What's going on? They're coming here. Oh, how are we going to do it? It's, how are we not going to say disgusting jokes? Um, Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. You know? Yeah. So I can only imagine in the Navy. I went to the Naval Academy, so I spent some time on ships. And uh, there was a lot of stigma and also um, a lot of pressure for, for young, especially young enlisted uh, women to, like, get along and do as you're told. And there's all these subtle, like, little pushes that you don't, Mm. that you don't think about. Um, so how, how that particular experience of being a woman in the military sort of hardening in to totally protect yourself, 
um, how did that start to show up uh, in college in your relationships, like right after you left the military? So and was uh, there like a clean break or not? Was it more transition, slow, fast? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say probably transition slowly. Um, you know, kind of a little bit backstory. My dad raised us to be very, very independent, taking care of ourselves. I grew up in a household of three girls. Um, I have two younger sisters, but we were always like outdoors, camping, fishing, hunting. You know, I grew up in the country, very small town. Um, so I always kind of had this like bit of independence, but not the hardening that the military, you know, provided. And so getting, you know, getting out, like I was always kind of more tough and I would say uh, ha had a little bit more of a challenging time making female friends. And so I always had masculine energy, you know, I've always like balanced the two of them very well. I think um, when I got out, I noticed like, I just wouldn't show emotion, you know, something like my dog passed away very shortly after I got out of the military and we had that dog for 12 years and I was, <laughs> Kelly was with me, you know, my boyfriend and I was in the car when I got the news and I initially felt like, oh, I really want to cry. Like, this is very sad. People don't usually make me all that sad, but animals, <laughs> I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like I, I was feel falling mess. And so I like turned my whole body, like toward, you know, the window, looking at the vehicle, like just trying to compose myself, like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry in front of Kelly. And when we, we went out to breakfast and he could tell something was wrong. We got back inside and he was just like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, no, mm -hmm. just like pushing, literally pushing him out of the room. Like, just give me my space. And he was like, you don't have to be a robot. And at that point, like just hearing that, I just like broke down, like, wow, you know, I have been very robotic and this is even a whole year after I got out of the military, you know? So for that whole year, just like not crying, I, I hadn't cried once. You're just mm. like so much stored emotion in your body that you're not allowing that to flow freely through you. It like starts to, you know, create such a big impact. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's huge. Um, we quite often bring up the book, the body keeps the score. And, and the people who know they're like yeah oh yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and, and it, it, it's it's true like this guy uh dr bessel vander kalk has um has done a really good job documenting the fact that these emotions when not tended to you know present themselves in the body and then just hey when we push them down over and over and again they're going to come up and they might not come up in the best terms um so it's cool that you were able to recognize that um, quite soon after. Um, yeah, and to have your support system with your partner. And it sounds like you eventually found a good practitioner in the VA that could support you in that as well. That's, that's one of the things that you, you mentioned actually not being able to connect with women very well. What was your experience with um, creating community of any kind outside whether it was in college or any groups that you joined, anything like that. What was that experience like? Yeah. So I grew up in a family. We were all very close with one another. And so even through high school, like I always would have like one really good best friend, maybe not so many girlfriends, but I have two sisters. So they were always kind of like my support. So at times where I felt like I didn't have close like circles of friends, I would rely heavily on my family to be there for me. And I'm lucky enough to say that they were. Um, 
when I first moved to Arizona after being in the service, I had a group of a, a pretty big group of girlfriends that um, I, I ended up just kind of like joining my best friends group of girlfriends. So they weren't necessarily people that I had personally picked out, um, but they were supportive for a while and those friendships fell away. And there was a reason for that. They were no longer serving my greater good. And um, I had a really hard time after that making friends. I relied on Kelly to kind of be my support and then realized very quickly, he can't be everything for me. I had him wearing like mm -hmm. 16 different hats, you know, on any given day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, just, I think getting out and doing the things that fulfilled me and the things that I loved, I would meet people, you know, like-minded. I really enjoy music. I really enjoy dancing. And so I would meet a lot of people out doing social things like that. And then just kind of collecting them along the way. And so, I mean, at this point, my, my circle is so big. I can't even, <laughs> it's all over the country at this point. I have so many friends and I'm so grateful for the connections that I've made, but it's taken, you know, seven years to cultivate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you said that. We, we love calling attention to, first of all, the process of transitioning. I say it could take up to, you could take a year or 20. Like it all depends on where you are on the spectrum. Um, it's not just about getting a job and being employed or going to school. Like that stuff is like the literal bare minimum. That's like surviving. Um, Which is what most people do. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I appreciate that you call attention to the community uh, aspect of, of your journey as well, because, uh, we're in the military, every, every single person on your boat, in your unit, wherever you are on your ship, it, that those are usually the only people you hang out with most of the time. It's like 90% of your time we're with all these people on duty, working deployments, and then like a 10, five to 10% of the time you're, ex, you know, experiencing other people outside which by the way, you're already have the barrier of the uniform anyway, and the lifestyle and oh, say, sorry, I can't, I got duty Friday night, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there's already kind of a, a disconnect there. And one of the things that we love to talk about with other veterans is like, hey man, like that experience is very unique. Like being where all your communities like this, it almost never exists anywhere else. It's cool to have occasionally, it's nice. Yeah. And you have both, you have the opportunity now to like branch out a little bit. Um, I've been starting to call them like community pods, yeah. like little pods, like my music people, my like fucking coaches people, like wh whoever you're into, like being able to like tap yeah. in a little bit. What, what was that experience? Like, like once you started building that community and being like, oh shit, I got these people to hang out with those people to hang out with. What, yeah, what did I that mean, bring to your life? It was really nice. Cause it just really brings variety. You know, it was like, I'd reach out to one group of friends or a couple girlfriends and hey do you want to do this if they were busy okay well I'm just gonna go see what else and it just means that life is pulling me in a different direction you know maybe trying something new or you know just like expanding my grasp if you will to kind of just like have my reach even farther I mean I feel like when you're leaning on only a few people and then those people if you have an expectation and they let you down now you're sad and it kind of puts you right back into those emotions your emotion body rather than realizing okay, how can I expand my reach farther and make sure that I have like, like you said, more pods or pockets of friends that can fulfill you. Yeah. And something, uh, something I want to draw some awareness to as well is, you know, when we experience, when we go through our experience in the military, a lot of that's like forced connection. It's like your mm -hmm. friends by proxy, right? Yeah, Cause these absolutely. are the people that you're spending time with every like day in, day out. 
And like, I'll speak from my experience. I didn't like most of the people that I served with. They're a bunch of fucking assholes. And um, so like, not only was that difficult, right? But like, even so I I did the minimum, did my three and a half years and was like, okay, I'm done. Um, What I found to be uh, quite quite different moving forward was like the people that I began connecting with outside of the military was more authentic because I started to like, meet people that I actually wanted to be around, right? It's one thing to have a shared experience, although that's a forced, in many ways, it's a forced shared experience. Obviously, we volunteered, we signed up for that. However, like once you're in, it's it's more of a forced thing. And so- Signing up for the unknown, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the connections, you know, that we found, especially in working with other veterans, and uh, it, I know it's been my experiences, there's a lot of trauma bonding, like within the military itself, because it's just like, okay, we're all here and this is all shitty. So we're gonna have that to connect over. And then, so it's like you leave the military and then you get to go out and actually enjoy life and do the things that you want to do. And you start meeting people who are able to meet you at that level. And, and what we have found is that it's so difficult at times for people to let go of that, like military piece of it, because it's like, oh, well, this is what community is. And, you know, this is what brotherhood is and, and bond is. It's like, wait a minute, like, yeah. let, let's, let's question that for a second. Right. So uh, would you say that that's also accurate in your experience? Like, you know, Absolutely. being in versus getting out. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned trauma bonds. You know, it's most people wouldn't even know what that means. Or if you're mentioning it, they're, they're well, trauma bond, oh, what, you know, drama. Like, but really, it's so true. You're bonding with each other out of, you know, kind of just being in a shit situation with each other. And I mean, it makes those bonds really strong, but the bonds are not healthy. You're even interacting with people who are just not vibrating at your same vibration. And so, you can really feel when other people come in the room and, and they're just not happy. You know, I'm, I'm definitely somebody that picks up on other people's emotions. And so someone comes in and they're in a mood. Now I'm in a mood and I don't even know why. Um, it's mm-hmm. the same thing in the ER. You know, I say all the time, like we, because you're constantly at work, you're there for 12 hours a day, you know, your, your schedule's kind of bouncing all over the place and you're, you're seeing trauma every single day you trauma bond with your coworkers. And then, you know, I had this awareness early on in my career that they're hanging out with each other outside of work. You're hanging out with each other inside of work. Like, and then that's just the bubble that you're creating for yourself. And I wish I always tried to keep my relationships outside of work, very separate from work because I recognized that, that it was trauma bonding, you know? And then I recognized that people in in the nursing field i mean in in medicine in general they get addicted to that they get addicted Mm. to that that feeling and then when you start to kind of raise your vibration out of it you're kind of pulled back you know i very much identified with my role as an emergency nurse for a long time and it was like if i'm not doing that who am i you know Mm -hmm. same thing with the military you're like if i'm not identifying with my service and my time in the military then who am i like people they've been out of the military for 20 years and they're still using all the same language and talking i'm like her you know bullhead and how long like did you just say you know like what you know my brain is constantly being jogged and i'm like wow i didn't remember that like honestly a lot of my military time i don't remember it and i'm i don't Mm -hmm. know like i guess i'm grateful for that like it's i'm just not clinging to it yeah Yeah, say i'm I'm curious you know and the not remembering is that more of like a trauma response in terms of like shitty experience i want to disconnect from it or is this more of like i've simply moved on from that experience and it's like cool i i acknowledge it it was a time in my life i 
I'm grateful for. And I, I'm just simply, I'm now moving forward. Probably both, honestly. Um, when I was in the service, I, I think I spoke about this um, earlier with, with you. Um, I had a fall when I was in the Navy. I fell like 15 feet from one of our small boats on the, onto the deck of the ship. And I broke so many bones in my body. I was in a wheelchair for like four months mm. and um, had to go through like eight months of rehabilitation just to get like back on my feet and get moving again. And so that was definitely very traumatic. And there's a lot of trauma related to that. Um, I'm grateful for that happening to me because it also helped me like figure out my passion and caring for others and caring for myself. I had to learn very quickly how to be as nice to my body as I could to be able to rehabilitate and get back on my feet again. Um, yeah, I was told by several doctors that I would walk with a limp for the rest of my life. I would never run again. They tried to boot me out of the military. And this is after only a year in, um, they tried to send me out on, you know, medical separation. And I was just like, kept thinking of my family and my dad, you know, who prepped me so hard going into the service. I was like, I'm gonna, I don't want to let my family down, let myself down. I haven't been in long enough. And so I kind of gave them the, you know, the bird and told them that I was going to get better. And so I rehabilitated and I was, you know, passing every PRT from that point forward with outstanding PRT scores. And I run, I just got back from a run like a couple of hours ago, you know, it's like people try to tell you and limit you on what you can and can't mm -hmm. do. I just won't accept that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. Hearing that, number one, just want to acknowledge, like, thankfully, you're you're doing much better, and that it wasn't as uh, debilitating as some of the doctors wanted to believe. And um, yeah, would you say that that experience, you know, inside or outside of the military context, is that something that still shows up in your life, like in terms of like how you how you choose to show up or the things that you do? Like, are you pushing yourself a little bit more? Or do you shy away from things? Like, how else has that been showing up in your life? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, when I first got out, I used to identify with that story a lot. Um, it was such an impactful thing that happened to me that I noticed it would come up in conversation a lot. Um, you know, and most people have this like pretty big response to that, like, oh, wow, you know, they, you've been through a lot. And it's like really relative to any, any subjective, every, everyone has their trauma, everyone goes through their, their shit, you know, and they get through it. Um, I actually had an acupuncturist I went to see, cause I was having a lot of chronic pain just showing up in my body, you know? And he said to me, why are you identifying with something that happened to you? And I just sat mm. back, like, what do you mean? Like, and then I was like, whoa, that was like a bomb. Like, you're right. <laughs> you know, you're right. I'm identifying with this. And so I've, you know, worked mm. really hard to just kind of separate myself from that experience. Um, prior to that happening to me, I was never afraid of heights. Like there were points where my dad was had me by the belt loop as a kid, like over a cliff edge. And I <laughs> had no fear at all. And after that, I was like, petrified of heights like I would even think about them or see somebody skydiving and I would get sweaty and like you know just super nervous and anxious about it and then I realized okay this is an opportunity for me to grow even further so mm. actually while we were on our trip in Colombia for the ayahuasca um, we went on several hikes and I jumped off like several waterfalls that were very high and during one of the times Jesse took us off on this path 
And I thought, oh, I think I found a better way down. And I actually slipped and like literally on my butt slid off the cliff edge. Like, thank God I'm okay. But as I was falling, I remember thinking like, wow, this is teaching me in this very moment to like surrender to what's happening, you know? And so I just relaxed my whole body and I was like, it's okay. Whatever happens to me happens to me rather than like being so fearful. And I was like, that was a really big aha moment for me. So I really try not to uh, let that get in the way. Cause I mean, you're just allowing yourself to live in fear at that point. Mm. Mm. Um, so you already mentioned going down to Columbia. Um, I'd like to steer the conversation more towards what initially brought you on. Um, so what led you to ayahuasca? That's a really good question. Um, I had been having lots of conversations with people who had <laughs> drank ayahuasca, who had gone on, on, you know, that adventure themselves. I really, it's hard to describe it because it literally felt like a pull from the center of my being. Um, I just knew I needed to do it like from mm -hmm. the inside, you know, I just knew it. And Jesse, I knew he had been putting groups together to go down there. He had gone on one trip already and I wanted to go, but I still didn't quite feel ready. And then like, it just clicked one day and I just felt like this pull. And so I reached out to him and I said, okay, let's get this going. I'm ready. So, yeah, it, in hearing that, I'm curious, like, was there, was there anything in particular that you might've been struggling with, uh, that might've led you to that? Cause like, I, like I've, I've sat with Aya uh, several times myself and I remember, um, like, and it's different for everybody. Like the one common thing is that the medicine will call you right. Yeah. And, and however that happens, however that looks, you know, it's different for everybody. And I remember, you know, for me, uh, it, it first started with more of like curiosity. Yeah. Right of like, okay, I've heard these stories and I'm, I'm curious about what the experience is. And then also trusting that, you know, if, if, if it's to happen, great. I trust in the timing of it all. And then, uh, some of the later times that I did, it was, you know, there was definitely some more specifics where I was like, I was really dealing with some like emotional trauma. Uh, I was dealing with a really bad breakup and like just feeling unfulfilled in life and stuff like that. And so like understanding that the medicine can, can really help with that. So was there anything like that? uh, going into, you know, your first experience? Yeah. So it was kind of all the above. Like there was definitely a curiosity inside me. I started educating myself on it. Um, you know, had many calls with Jesse to talk in detail about it. Um, talked with several friends and then I also watched some documentaries on it. You know, I was just very curious what other people's experience looked like. And to be fair, that was a little bit intimidating because there's a lot of fear going into it and you're kind of confronting that fear head on saying like, okay, well, despite being a little weary of the unknown, I still felt a pull. Um, some of the things that I felt like I was struggling with was my career as a nurse in the ER started to feel very unfulfilling. And while I love helping others, I felt like there was a bigger way I could be helping others. And, and trying to transition kind of out of my role as an emergency nurse into a direction of helping people that's still fulfilling that might be even more fulfilling, not only for myself, but for them, I, I felt directionless. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. I know that I'm not supposed to be doing this role as a nurse anymore, but I, I don't know what that looks like and what that means. And so there was like, I had some very direct questions. 
I also felt like um, I was starting to become very reactive again, um, allowing my emotions to kind of dictate my behavior. Um, and I just felt like it could help give me direction and kind of help answer some of, you know, some of the big questions that you have in life, you know, the existential <laughs> questions that you have so that you just feel more clear in general. Oh, we're all, we're all about the existential questions here at the Rising Warrior. <laughs> at least behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we didn't even, uh, I mean, we ended up getting together because we were all veterans, but that wasn't the main yeah. thing. We just, that, something like that was a huge through line for us as well. Like, so I'm glad you, you shared that as well. What, what was that? So you're asking these big questions, you're, you know, you know, struggling with identity again you're like shit this isn't it doesn't feel good starting to get triggered um uh when do you make the decision to go down there to do this and what is the final sort of if there even was one the the, the mental hurdle that you overcame to to still feel like that direction that was pulling you forward was the right one yeah so Initial conversation started with Jesse, I would say, in May. And when I decided, okay, I want to go, he was like, these are the dates that we're going. And so it wasn't from May, we went in September. So it was like quite a bit of time for me to really like, for lack of a better way of putting it, get my shit together. So it was, all right, what am I afraid of? How can I kind of calm these nerves? And really just cleaning my body. So, I mean, one of the big things with ayahuasca is to make sure that your vessel is, is ready to receive the medication. And so like taking a really, really good look at my diet, everything going on in the world right now, we all know, like really looking at your health and how you're managing your health on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that was really, really impactful for me. Like, you know, removing a lot of stuff that you're eating, that's clouding the way that you think and the way that you interact with the world around you. Um, once I started to really detox my body, it felt so clear to me that I was on the right path. Mm. Um, this, this will mean something to you if you drank ayahuasca or if you know mm -hmm. you're on your spiritual journey, but I started to see dragonflies everywhere. Mm. Um, mm. Then in, a, in a, a couple calls that we had, just kind of briefing, going over what to expect on the trip, um, dragonflies would just like appear like up to the window out of nowhere, just like buzzing around. And to me, that was like crystal clear <laughs> messages. This is 100% the medicine, mm. you know, um, Jesse would say that the medicine's working in you already once you decide to go on, you know, on that journey. And so I definitely felt that. Yeah. I've mm. had a similar experience where, uh, it was actually with cannabis. I had a, a, one of the most intense psychedelic experiences of my life just from smoking weed wow. and it was um, when I went and sat with Aya next, basically as soon as I got the medicine uh, kicked on or kicked in, I picked up right from where I was in that cannabis journey. Really? Yeah, it was, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I rem remember hearing that before about like, yeah, when, like when you commit to it, like it'll start showing up in these, in these different ways. And so like, yeah, that was the way it showed up for me. And this was the second time that I sat with Aya. And like, I just remember as soon as I got into the, the, into the medicine, I was like, oh, wow, here we are again. Like, oh damn, like this was, you know, several months ago that this thing happened. So I definitely hear you there. And that's awesome. 
to be um, continued. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, what were some of like the like your bigger fears like going into this experience? Honestly, I was really fearful. So my brain works in a more safety thing. Like you know, you hear stories people like falling over, hit, or hurting themselves, things like that. Like I was more fearful of that and of making a fool of myself. You know, I was like what am I going to do? How am I going to act? Like, how do I know I'm going to be safe in that environment? And I think that that's part of the work going into that is not resisting. <laughs> when you're continuously resisting, that resistance is going to show up even harder over and over again. And so really learning to let go of, of everything and then trusting that the universe has your best interests at heart, you know, trusting that my higher self knows what it's doing. And so my ego and my conscious mind wanted to create all these problems and scenarios. And I really just like wanted to surrender to my higher self and say, you know what, I trust you. I know, I know that you're leading me in the right direction. Gotcha. So, so you make it down to the jungles of Colombia. Yes. And you go get, and you go and drink ayahuasca for the first time. Um, how many, uh, <clears throat> yeah, how many ceremonies did you sit in? Was it just one or did you guys do multiple days or what, what was that like? Yeah, it was just one. Um, we had participated in many medicines while we were down there. Um, Cambo a couple of times leading up to the ayahuasca and then Cambo again afterward and 5-MEO. Um, hmm. So it was like cleansing our body with a Cambo and then we sat with Aya just one time. Gotcha. And yeah, uh, you want to dive into what your experience was like with the medicine and, you know, what are some of the lessons that you learned? Um, yeah, all, all the fun details that you're willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my intentions going into that experience was to just kind of surrender to the unknown, um, open my heart and my mind, my spirit, just open myself up, release control and fear, um, any of the emotions that were no longer serving me and then you know just kind of facilitate creating an abundant life um I felt like I had you know weaknesses I mentioned earlier just like kind of clinging to things reactivity procrastination um yeah so we went into the Maloka when we got there and um sat down they had mats on either side of the Maloka and a fire in the middle and as soon as we walked in the door, all the fear and nerves that I had were gone. Like I no longer felt scared to take the medicine. I was really nervous for the rape <laughs> and I'm sure you can attest to this. Mm -hmm. um, we had, we had sat with the rape like three or four times prior to this with each cambo ceremony and a couple of times before that. And, you know, they said Taite Giovanni, our shaman was like relentless with it. So <laughs> After we set our stuff down and they oriented us to the Maloka, um, we sat around the fire and he started with the men with the rape and they were all crying, <laughs> throwing up. And I had had a really hard experience with it the first time that we tried it. I was like, what I call mixing or like I get this energy inside of my body that spins really fast in a counterclockwise position. And that happens in my body anytime I'm like very blissful, very happy during acupuncture sessions, but it like really woke up while we were in Colombia. I'm still learning a little bit about it. I've been told it's like Kundalini energy that I need to learn how to 
work with within my body. But mm-hmm. anyway, they did the rape and man, we were throwing up for quite a while after that. <laughs> all of us were, <laughs> they started with the men first and they, they drank the ayahuasca and I was the second female to go. Um, I only took one cup. They say to keep it down for about an hour. If you can, if you need to go back for a second cup to go back for a second cup. And uh, I was maybe five minutes in after drinking my cup of ayahuasca. And I was like, this is not staying down. No matter what I'm doing, it's going to come up. So I retreated to my bed um, where my bucket was, took off my shoes, and I vomited within five minutes of drinking it. And so I was like quite worried that I had like ruined (laughs) my trip. You know, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to sit around for an hour and go back for more because I threw it all up already. And it hit me like a ton of bricks within like two minutes I was having the most intense visuals of my life it's like being pulled by your face on a bullet train downloads of information I was seeing the Egyptian pyramids Egyptian symbology um at the time I didn't know who she was but the winged goddess Isis um I was seeing her all over the place Mm. um so many faces, some of them I knew, a lot of them I didn't. And then because we had drank or because we had um, sat in the Cambo ceremonies, I was seeing frogs everywhere too, just like toads <laughs> all <laughs> over the place. Um, yeah, it was just like so much information, but I really felt very, very connected to the roots of where I come from and then to every living being and person and thing, trees, rocks animals I felt very connected to everything I even saw um there was a couple times I was kind of shot up to outer space I would say other universes and I would see other alien beings that were like so loving and they were very light and like warm and inviting and the places that they lived were unbelievably beautiful um words can't even begin to describe how pretty but these basically like light cities that are just like iridescent of many many colors I did have a couple of really, really impactful experiences with the medicine. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, one of my roles in life is an emergency nurse. I've been doing that for five years now. And my whole career up to this point, I've only ever lost one patient. And the medicine took me right back bedside to, you know, the death of my patient. And it was, it was so... It was insane because I was standing bedside, hands on the rail. Like it was so crazy that it could immerse you exactly how it happened. Like I was standing there. I was like opening my eyes, looking around like, oh my gosh, is this, is this really happening? You know, and it didn't matter where I was looking. That's what I was seeing. Mm. And um, the medicine took me back through his death, which I didn't realize I had been holding on to. I'd been storing mm. that in my body. And you know, tears start running down my face. I was sobbing. I was just like very, very, very sad about it. Um, this patient was elderly in his like late eighties, early nineties. And I'm pretty sure he had a stroke and he passed, but we worked on him trying to bring him back for a while, which is also something just in medicine that I don't really agree with the interventions that we sometimes implement to help save people when it's like, you're not really making the best decision for that patient. But anyway, in the, in the moment, it was very traumatic. And so the medicine took me back through it. And at the end, I sat there and I was like, wow, what am I so, supposed to learn from this? Like, why is this happening? This is so sad. And I decided like, okay, I surrender. And he died. 
And then the medicine took me into, you know, a different scenario. I was seeing different shapes, things. Um, it was during the men's cleansing ritual. It was really cool. I was like seeing this like Aztec shaman and he was like cleaning. It would like show up on this, like a microscope that had like the flower of life and all this sacred geometry. And then it would show like red and yellow energy. And then it would like stamp it. And then it would turn green. Like it was cleared. It was very interesting. But I could literally feel the relationship of the shaman and the, and grandmother Aya, like so symbiotic and beautiful. It was like the most, the most amazing thing you can ever experience is the relationship that the shaman cultivates with the medicine. It's very impactful. After that cleansing ritual, the medicine took me back bedside to my patient again. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, all right, there's more healing to do here. <laughs> the first time I had like gotten really hot and sick and I threw up. And after I threw up, I was like, okay, better. So when it took me back here, I was like, okay. So I just kept saying like, I surrender. I surrender. Like I forgive myself. It's okay. And rather than taking on the role of the nurse that I had done in the moment and, you know, the first time the visions came around, I decided to sit with him as a person mm. and I held his hand and I told him it's okay. And I was humming out loud in real life, you know, to him and then sitting there with him, just like allowing him to pass peacefully. And he died and grandmother, I, you know, laid his spirit to rest and then the most amazing thing happened. He was reborn, reincarnated into a baby. And I was holding him and I passed him on to his mother. And it was just like the most beautiful realization you could ever have that death is not final. And life is a continuous, beautiful journey. Um, many people want to believe that you get this one life to live, you know, you get one shot at it and it's done. But the medicine, you know, told me otherwise, like it's infinite. I mean, we're all connected to each other. And when we pass from this life, we'll be reborn into another one, maybe as a person, maybe not, who knows. Um, but it was quite beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I love I love hearing other people's stories of their ayahuasca experience because there's there's so much difference from person to person to person. Um, so, uh, in saying that, number one, thank you for sharing. Um, and <clears throat> with that experience, um, so so when when did you go down go down to drink? In September of twenty twenty one. Yes. This okay. Last so so very recently. Yes. Cool. What has your um, experience been in integrating that experience since leaving? And how is that showing up in your life now? And, and are you seeing the changes or the impact of that? And yeah, what's, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I noticed that when I do go to work in the ER, I'm not as like, I don't have as much anxiety, if you will. I mean, it's very hard to be in that environment and not absorb the negativity or the energy or the stress. And now I just am very relaxed knowing that like, regardless of what I do as a nurse, I have no control over life and death mm. where before I felt like, oh, I can prevent this. I can save him. And I think that's why I was storing that in my body, like thinking there's something I could have done to prevent that from happening, but resting with that, knowing that 
it's out of my hands and also it's irrelevant really like we're all gonna die you know when that happens it's not really up to us but it's going to happen and and so I have a lot of peace knowing that you know it's not finite it's not end all be all and even when people do pass on out of you know this dimension this life this realm like they're not gone they're just not in this physical plane with us anymore how's um is it showing up in your day-to-day life like is it it has you know after sitting with Aya like how has that impacted your just your day-to-day because that is one thing where like uh you know in my experience and listening to a lot of other people like yeah there there can tend to be some like really pivotal like specific moments that or specific experiences that it does have an impact on and like helps us move through some trauma or like specific events in our life. And um, like what I'm really curious about is with any plant medicine is like, how is this showing up in our day to day life? And so I'm curious, you know, how has that impacted you? And uh, yeah, it like completely reframes the way that I see the world, like completely reframes it. And so where before you're looking at something and you're seeing the sadness you're I mean you're seeing like you get caught up in it I don't know how else to say that but you get so caught up in what you're doing but it's not really about you it's about the collective like what are you doing to contribute to the collective what are you doing to better yourself in order for you to contribute to the collective and so what what I've noticed for myself is I mean my entire life has changed like now I'm, I'm in the process of transitioning out of the ER into functional medicine. And so I now work at an acupuncture clinic, um, as a nurse doing that, and then also doing vitamin therapy. And so it's helped me facilitate moving out of something that I had a trauma bond with, um, Mm. a role that I was very much identified with. And, um, it's made, it's made me I was able to process that and then move through it and then now have like security and knowing that I'm on the right path. Like it's aligned me with my higher purpose, if that makes sense. Um, I'm also, I self reflect way quicker. So almost instantly when I'm catching myself engaging in behavior that is a lower vibration than what I want to be at. I'm recognizing it almost instantly. And then I'm able to kind of course correct. Um, it took a couple months to get there, to be honest, when we came back from our trip, the downloads of information, everything that happens is it can be so overwhelming that when you're integrating back in, you really have to do the work. It's like one of the biggest things that I could say for anybody who's going to sit with I, you have to be willing to do the work when you get back because it's so easy for you to fall back into your old patterns and your old routines. You have to seriously look at your life and create a new routine, create new patterns. Um, I've decided to invest a lot in myself. So I'm taking um, courses on becoming a more conscious manifester so that you're not, a lot of people want to focus on what they don't want in life rather than on what they want. And then Mm -hmm. you're manifesting all these things you go, how did I get here? What is this? Like, I didn't ask for this. It's because you're thinking about what you don't want, not what you do want. And so just kind of like educating myself. I'm reading more. I'm doing yoga. I'm sitting and doing my breath work. Like rather before I knew that was something I should be doing, but it wasn't necessarily something I was doing. Now that's what I actually am doing, knowing that it's 
connecting me to my higher self and keeping me in alignment with, with myself as I continue to progress, you know, as a person. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting. You bring that up. Um, uh, one of our previous guests said that he actually had the, the ability to take some time off after his retreat. And he said that he was able to really just be with himself for yeah. like two weeks before he got back into work or, or life or whatever. So it, yeah, it's a really good point. And the integration part, um, what I always find really interesting is what you said about yoga and the meditation. I was like, it's, it's integration of what you saw. And it's also a call to deepen your practices uh, across the board it, because, um, we, we like to talk about like the, uh, ayahuasca mushroom, any one of these, uh, pe they're all peak experiences. You see this, like, you know, through the looking glass down the rabbit hole, you're Alice in Wonderlanding, and, yeah. but the world is still the world and you are still you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So bringing in the practices and the integration is how you sustain that, that those, re uh, those revelations uh, of any kind, uh, you know, you could take a low dose mushroom trip, a gram, and you could have some of those, in a, you know, realizations and want to bring Oof. it back. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've definitely smoked weed several times since I've been back. And it, like you had said before, like it takes me right back into my ayahuasca experience. And it's like, mm -hmm. I, I will literally start receiving downloads again. And then something that maybe didn't seem so clear before becomes like crystal clear in my head. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have to start doing that tomorrow. I have to start implementing that today. One of the biggest things is just like, researching some of the symbology that I saw, mm. researching what some, mm. of the, some of the visions that I had, like what they mean, um, educating myself a little bit more on sacred geometry. Cause sometimes I see the flower of life, almost like it's like embedded in my eyes. That's when I'm sober. And so I'm like, what? Like, that's interesting, you know, but it'll, it'll hit me sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So oh, yeah. just, you know, trying to, trying to integrate it that way. And, also looking at other people and not getting so offended by other people's actions and their behavior. You kind of see mm. the way that they act as collective trauma, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. we're carrying things that aren't even ours. They're oh, yeah. on from our lineage. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think we can all relate to sometimes you get a feeling you're like, wait, I don't feel mad. Why do I feel mad right now? Or I don't, you're checking in with yourself and it doesn't really align with you, but maybe you're picking stuff up from other people. Mm -hmm. And so the more you sit with yourself and really recognize how you feel and your energy and really just being, it's easier for you to recognize what's not yours. Mm. Yeah. That's super powerful. Like a yeah. powerful, yeah. Like yeah, powerful realization and, and even more power or actually the realization on its own is, is just really cool. It's powerful yeah. when you actually take that and do something with it. So I think that, yeah, I mean, that's, it, uh, you know, I'm hearing that as, as an underlying theme where it's like, we can go out and have all these experiences so we can sit with all these medicines and you know what, like, I'll be the first to say like, sometimes with, with some of this stuff, it can't just be a fun time and it can just be like, oh, you know what, I, I'm going to, you know, eat some mushrooms. And I want to go on this like visual journey and it's beautiful and I just feel great. And sometimes that's all we need. Yes. And there's also these other times where it can be very profound and we can have these revelations and like see these bigger picture concepts and connect dots and like gain clarity. And it doesn't mean anything if you don't bring it back and do something with it, which I think is more important than 
anything else. And, and you mentioned this earlier where it's like the work actually starts when it's over. It's after you've sat mm -hmm. with I like the experience itself, like, yeah, it can be difficult and rough. But if you just sit there and be like, okay, I surrender, right, you can typically get through it, it you're gonna yeah. end up on the other side one in one way, uh, or one way or another. <laughs> but it's when you come back, like, that's where the work really does start. And so yeah, I'm really happy that you brought that up. Um, and you know, another thing too, I think we've mentioned this on one of our other uh, episodes uh, about ayahuasca is that, you know, these medicines are simply just tools. They're showing us aspects of ourselves and parts of ourselves that we have access to at all times, or they're at least available at all times. And it's, it's a practice to be able to, you know, get in tune enough to, to tap into it. So yeah, like I, like you sharing granted, uh, you're still fairly, um, like early on in the integration experience, right? It was only several months ago, as opposed to, you know, it could have been several years ago. So like for you to speak into that though, where it's like, yeah, you are like seeing some of these things like completely sober um, yeah. and like stuff like that can happen. And I think a big part of that is like what we were just talking about is cultivating some sort of practice to connect back to yourself. Cause that's really what these medicines are doing is it's reconnecting ourselves to ourselves. So exactly. I think even, even helping to facilitate a using other parts of our brain that are just like dormant you know we only use a very small percentage of our brain and the what i notice in meditation and in breath work now is it will almost connect me with some of the visuals and some of the feelings that i had during my ceremony and so it's very 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 apparent that you can tap into that in a clear frame of mind sitting with yourself sober you know you don't have to be engaging in psychedelics to get there but they do help rapidly speed up not only your awareness of what that feels like and looks like but it's just easier for i think your brain to process what's happening in the moment and for you to allow that to happen so that you're allowing your body to receive any messages that want to come through i heard um uh, not going to be able to put a name to this <clears throat> um Aubrey Marcus, we'll go with him. Um, <laughs> sounds like something he would say. Uh, he, he talks about the use of psychedelics. We can get to that point and it's going to take some time. It might take 30 years of meditation practice up in the mountains of Tibet and we can get there. And he's like, why not use a cheat code? Exactly. Exactly. And, and then once you use the cheat code, hopefully you recognize this, that you can get there without using the cheat code every time like this, all, all of that you see when you're on these journeys and these, the better version of yourself, you're able to access that at any time point. We're conditioned throughout life and programmed throughout life to get out of touch with a lot of these things. I mean, children are born with these amazing gifts, right? Mm -hmm. They can, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, I see people standing over there. And then the mom's like, oh, shut up. Don't say that, you know? And then they're just like, oh, that must be wrong. Oh, maybe I don't see someone. And then they lose that gift, you know? Right. It's like we're conditioned and programmed from such a young age. Like, I mean, society kind of knocks the, the magic out of you. And so I think one of the mm. best things about these medicines is they help reintegrate that magic. They help put you back in tune with the gifts that you were born with, um, so that you can reconnect with yourself and reconnect with those things that make you who you are. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm a big fan of magic and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something, <laughs> yeah, so, something else that comes to mind too is, you know, the, the, these, these medicines 
can't it, it's this concept of like you don't know what you don't know right and so it's like if you simply don't know well then yeah how would you ever get to something that you don't know and so like using these mm -hmm. medicines as tools to to like we were saying it's like you're accessing parts of yourself of of life in general and it just gives you some more context and some more framework and so you know through that lens like yeah if i'd never sat with um any of these medicines before and really felt you know connection on that level like i simply wouldn't know that it exists and so even if i were to meditate all the time or do breathwork practices or anything like that like is it possible that that could happen yes and like having a reference point of like okay like i actually have a direction to go and i have some context of what it means to feel connected right like i can actually now enter these practices and have more awareness around when i do start to feel that or when i do start to um, get the subtleties of it just in my daily life and so like i know for me that's been a huge impact in terms of like connecting with people is that like um, these last several years, like I've experienced connection on a level I just didn't know was possible because I was so shut off from myself. I was so numb. And so like these do, like they can very much open us up. And now I don't need substances to feel that way. Like I can tap into that um, <clears throat> completely sober, you know, just going out and having a good time or like going out to dinner with a friend or, you know, movie night with a girlfriend or whatever. It's like I can tap into these things because I now have a reference point. And so they can be a very powerful tool in that. And at the same time, you know, we, we talked about this on, on a previous episode, like it can also really fuck you up. And like, that is worth acknowledging where if you are not, uh, the term that we use cognitively fit, right? If, if your cognitive fitness level is low and you go into an experience like this, like it can really leave you like, uh, like really spinning and that can like it can get really out of hand and and this is this definitely sounds or seems to be more common in like dissociative um uh drugs like uh i won't mention it but like some like some drugs out there some medicines like it does disassociate and while like if you can be with that um in that experience and and you do have a good uh cognitive fitness level like like we've been saying like you can work your way through that and, and actually no because like ketamine is being used to treat uh different conditions and so yeah I'm, I'm okay uh mentioning that but yeah like if you're not if you're just like oh hey i'm gonna go do this thing and and snort a bunch of ketamine or or uh, however you want to administer it and then you just completely disconnect all of a sudden like you could find yourself in this place of like uh what is life? What is reality? And it's like, it can be very jarring. And so like, it is worth mentioning too, like, again, we need to be careful and, you know, set and setting, having a, a good healer or shaman or someone who has been through that process to help guide you through it. And then more importantly, the integration aspect of it, right? Like to really take that experience and, and like we've been talking about, bring it home, like make it applicable as opposed to just, you know, a one and done. Oh, I had a fun time and this was great. And I felt great and had these cool visuals. It's like, cool. How can we bring this into our lives? So just worth mentioning again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that you say that because it's like mindless consumption is going to lead you down a path that you're probably not want to be on. Um, we actually have a close friend of ours that did ayahuasca in Peru a couple of years ago, and he completely dissociated from himself and had an absolutely horrible experience. I mean, it's, he spent probably a good year seeing every kind of practitioner you can think of to get him back to himself. And mm -hmm. I mean, Kelly really helped facilitate 
a lot of that healing and, you know, was there to be a support system for him to kind of get him back in his body because he completely detached from the physical, (laughs) from his physical being, you know, it was like very, very scary to watch. I mean, you would look into his eyes and there was seriously like nobody was home. It was very, very interesting. And so, um, you know, to, to touch on that a little bit though, like I, I, I would say that this individual was not in the right headspace to go into something like that. And I think, yeah, like you said, like mental, mental health, mental fitness going into that and being very, very, very aware of your limitations and what you're, what you're able to handle, you know, mental toughness, really. Um, you have to sit with some very dark aspects of yourself in order to get through, through that experience and be willing to confront that and, and still love yourself regardless and welcome yourself with, with a loving embrace, you know, um, it helps elevate your, that experience helps elevate your awareness. And I think that one of the most powerful things walking out of that is to integrate that elevated awareness and to continue going forward with that. It's very easy to fall back in old patterns and think, okay, well, I'm going to just, you know, mindlessly consume whatever you want. And that's not really going to get you where you want to go. I feel, no. feel like the biggest thing going into it is intention. And when you're intentional with your life and you're intentional with medicines, they're there to help you. They're there to facilitate healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any, anytime, if, if you've been in the realm of these types of medicines, you might've heard the term set and setting and going into these medicines with a set intention and the setting and the surroundings around you make a huge difference. Um, so having the mindset, like you were talking about your buddy that had problems afterwards, maybe his mindset wasn't ready for it yet. So having the mindset, the intentions, and then the settings around it make a huge difference. Um, and there was something else I was going to say. Oh, and that being said, like we're doing a whole series on ayahuasca and veterans. And, and that being said, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and do this. Like I actually advise everybody not to do it. until you are damn sure that you want to do this because like you said there was a calling for you there was a pull for you um and i've talked to some individuals uh that just want to do it all willy-nilly blast off and then not do the work afterwards and that can be that can be a little tragic Um, when word circulates about these medicines and they become like a fad if you will you know somebody says oh my so-and-so went down to wherever and they did ayahuasca and had a great time i'm gonna do it too you know Mm -hmm. no (laughs) no no please please don't yeah make make damn sure that that yeah it's not like just buying a car yeah checking in with yourself like ask yourself why why do i feel called to do this and then just really sitting with that listening to what what comes up for you Mm-hmm. Um, and then wait a day and ask yourself again, you know, cause that answer is probably going to change. So, you know, from the point of educating myself to really kind of diving in and talking with friends every time I thought, why do I want to do this? And it literally felt like there was a chain tied to my chest and something was pulling me. So I also feel like I have a lot of mental resilience and, and, my friend, for example, who went into that, um, he, his intention in going into that first ayahuasca ceremony was he got exactly what he asked for. Um, his dad suffered from schizophrenia 
Mm, his intention going into that was I want to know what it feels like you know and that's exactly what he got and and really just wasn't prepared to to absorb that I mean that can you imagine what that would even look like yeah Um, that's a yeah that's an interesting intention to go into that (laughs) I I think if there's any contraindication for any of these I think it's schizophrenia yeah. Or yeah, a, Jesus. a familial trait of schizophrenia. So yeah, it's like one of the main things to avoid. If if you if you do have any history in your family, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, or heart problems. Or heart problems, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even, even people that are on a lot of medications, like going into something like that, for starters, like you can't just stop taking a lot of these medications. You have to titrate yourself off of them, and so there's. I mean, when you're deciding to go into this experience, finding a shaman that's experienced with this, but also whoever's facilitating this journey, like, are you just jumping to go down there by yourself without any information? Like the, the consent forms that I had to sign to go to this, and all the information I had to read to even be evaluated to be fit enough and, and mentally ready to mm-hmm. go on this trip was pretty extensive and so if you're finding someone who's just like yeah come to my backyard and drink some ayahuasca like <laughs> probably not a good idea yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't even, I, I don't even read consent forms anymore I, i've signed my life away to the military <laughs> right <laughs> nothing can get more serious than that <laughs> fuck it um so th- this has been w- wonderful um we, we, our previous podcast, we had more of a scientific background, which was great. And now you come in with more of the, the spiritual side of uh, ayahuasca. So this was a, a good, uh, I think the words dichotomy. Um, and it was, it was perfect. It was wonderful. Yeah. A little bit mystical too, which I always appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I had some experiences seeing uh, uh, fractals uh, just walking around. Um, not, not even ayahuasca, oh, yeah. it's just a physical, you know, emotional release. Uh, and I remember I used to call Sean and be like, dude, <laughs> I am seeing all kinds of stuff. So it's always really, really interesting to have people who are like, also, um, there, there's a, to, 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 to our audience, there's a broad range of experiences that you can have. And some of them can tap into some stuff you may not have believed was even possible. Um, so I, I encourage you to stay open if you're going to try anything like this. Stay open and and curious. Yeah, and don't compare. Like, uh, yeah, nothing. Like it's the, not the com- same at all. I, I made that mistake going into my plant medicine ceremonies, whether that was psilocybin or ayahuasca, um, and it it created a lot of resistance simply because I'm like, I like you know, hearing your your story, um, Sierra, I was like. Oh man, like I've yet to have one of those experiences where I like the visuals were of that of that sort. And when I first started getting into these medicines, like that created a lot of resistance. And it really, you know, like yes, I acknowledge like I got what I needed out of the medicine. And like there's a, no no part of me that's like, oh, I wish it would have gone different. Well, I don't want to say I wish it gone differently, but that I, I imagining that I didn't get what I needed. And at the same time, like I acknowledge, like it would be super cool to be able to have an experience like that or to, to have those types of visuals or to see the types of things that people see. Um, and I've, I've noticed since I've stopped comparing that, you know, the experiences that I do have, uh, even sober, right? Like this is 
this isn't just particular to you know plant medicine like also sober like the more that we compare our experiences to other people like it's just going to keep us stuck in a loop so mm -hmm. for anybody that is interested and you are hearing this like you know one of our intentions behind sharing all these stories is to like help people see the different experiences that are possible and what people are experiencing and your experience might be completely different and be, uh, and be open to that and ex and be accepting of that of like i'm gonna get what i what i came here to get i'm gonna get what i need and no amount of force is going to change that experience unless you want it to like be very difficult because if you try to force it that is one guarantee is that it will be difficult <laughs> to so. expectation creates a lot of suffering i think that's really important to remember and also grandmother aya is going to give you exactly what you need exactly what you need in that moment you just have to be willing to accept it yep. um another another little point i feel like is necessary to touch on is marijuana actually inhibits your ability to have it visions so you know that might be something as well you're supposed to stop smoking for like several months leading up to that because yep. it can actually block that vision center of how the medicine interacts with your body so mm. all mm. the nuances yeah we, um Go ahead. No, go ahead, John. JB, I, I, I wanted to bring up about the uh, the veteran journey we were talking about earlier in our conversation. Um, much like psychedelics and plant medicines and all these different mystical rabbit holes, um, the veteran journey is a connected one, but a completely individual one. Like we all have, there's a through line in, in our experience and uh, it's all different. So part of what we're doing in, in, in the rising warriors will take, we'll take the military framework and completely dismantle that, just crush it. Just go like, that's not going to work. It didn't, it only worked for the thing that we did at that time. It's no longer working. Here is a modular system of ways of thinking and perception and tools and, and, and community to help you go whatever way you want to go. Like I, you know, we've, we were talking about um, Kelly and how how cool his uh, his experience in music has been and and, and all that stuff and um, we want to see a day where a bunch of rising warriors are like there's a fucking DJ guy there's a guy who's like a whatever jujitsu guy there's a guy who's Yo like a corporate guy like I don't care it's yoga yeah. instructor like yes. yeah so it's cool that you're sharing I, your both of those yeah. experiences yeah i mean the goal right is to get everybody to a place of thriving there's so much that happens to you while you're in service and i mean it's it's a very challenging thing to experience and when you get out you you don't have to feel alone you don't have to feel isolated and you also don't have to feel like you're in a box where you can't grow mm -hmm. and expand and and you know fall away from a, relationships that are no longer serving you and falling away from habits mm -hmm. that are no longer serving you yep. mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that's so challenging for people is to recognize oh this is not healthy for me or this is not serving my greatest good so it's okay to let that go it's okay to release that you don't have to feel guilty about anything. You know, there's no right or wrong. There's just choice. Mm. Follow your freaking heart. <laughs> Ooh. We're going to end on that. <laughs> Mic drop. Follow your fucking heart. Thank you, Sierra. You're welcome. <laughs> it's honestly been such a pleasure. Like, thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to just kind of help educate and share the word. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for being on. If... If people want to find you, where can they find you? I mean, if you want them to find you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you go. want to be found. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm not really a Facebook person, um, but my Instagram is my first name, Sierra, S-I-E-R-R-A, aesthetics. So after the A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C-S underscore Arizona, just A-Z. And then I'll send that to you guys as well if you want to post it. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Again, Sierra, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh, And for everybody listening, thank you. Thank you.